Well, it's my great joy to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious Word to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. We're going to be looking together at 26 through 30 this morning. It's my great joy to invite you to stand in reverence to the reading of the perfect and precious words of our God. We stand knowing that in the Scripture and in the Scripture alone, we know the true story of the world. Romans 8, beginning in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are the called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Join me in prayer. Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, that You would change us today because we have met You in Your Word. And Lord, I pray today with an awareness that the truths in these verses are more than my words can come close to painting a picture of their glory. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help. And Lord, I pray that today we would be very aware of the Spirit's help. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us to be a people who trust Your plan, who know that You have a purpose in the midst of it all. And Lord, most of all, that we would be a people who would say, no matter what it takes, I want to be conformed into the image of Christ. And Lord, I pray that You help us, though we are a people who often groan, that You would take us from groaning to glory. Lord, we pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Life is pain, Highness. And anyone who says differently is selling something. Now, you might not be familiar with those words. I have this thing. I don't watch movies more than once. There are a couple of exceptions, and one of those is the 1980s film, The Princess Bride. And Wesley says to Princess Buttercup, Life is pain, Highness. And anyone who says anything else is selling something. Now, if that doesn't ring true to you, you just haven't lived enough years. Life is pain. Life is Suffering. And life is difficulty. Our bodies deteriorate over time. We face all the difficulties of the struggle with our own sin. We face the difficulty of dealing with the sin in the world. Life is pain. You know... um, One of the things that I have to do uh, is to give myself a daily injection. Actually, on Monday, too. But uh, the one that I give every day is not one of those little pins where it's got the little thing. No, they mail me the actual shot things. Now, I would have been one of those people who would have said, I can never give myself a shot. There is no way I would ever do that. I hate shots. And yet, 
there I am every day, giving myself a shot. There's one person in our church, I'll let them remain nameless, who passes out at the thought of shots. So sometimes I just send them pictures of the needle (laughs) for their sanctification and growth. But there it is, I do it every day. Now, why do I do it every day? When I would have been the person who said, I will not do that. I couldn't do that. There, there's no way I can do that. Because I am not just randomly choosing to take a metal object and jam it into my skin. The reason I do it every day is because I have a particular health condition and my doctor says, I've got a plan for addressing it. And so that pain that I feel every morning fits into a plan. And in that plan, it makes sense. If I forget that it's a part of a plan, and I wake up in this morning, just act like everything's erased and say, you know, I just think I want to take metal and jab it in my skin. That wouldn't make any sense. I wouldn't do it. But there's something bigger going on. It's a pain in my life to help. The plan and the hope of that plan is that there is a future with less pain. It fits in that story. That's why I do it. Romans unfolds in great logical and exalted detail the glorious salvation plan of God. What God is at work in the world doing to deliver and to save a people. It tells the story of God's Gospel. His good news. Last week we looked at Romans 11, 33-36, and, and it is a doxology that points us to the glory of the all things God. Eleven chapters have unfolded this treatise that takes us to the very mountaintop of this plan of God where we see with great wonder from all different directions what Christ has done to deliver a people. And we celebrate it by saying Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. We're going to be thinking about that verse all year. But this morning, we, we flip back a little bit to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is about the role of the Holy Spirit of God in the unfolding plan of the Gospel of God. It, it tells us about the Spirit in God's plan of salvation. And Romans is very clear that the pain and suffering that we know is a part of the all things plan of God. And that's true even though we are the adopted children of God if we are in Christ. The the Spirit, it says, is at work among us. And the Spirit allows us to cry out to God the Father and say, Abba, Father. God the Father in Christ is our Father. The Holy Spirit indwells and reminds us that we have the Holy Spirit of adoption. That in Christ we are the children of God. But one thing it makes very clear is that the children of God in this world do not avoid pain and suffering. But it is equally clear that the pain and suffering that we face fits into a plan. The plan of God. The plan of salvation from eternity past to eternity future. The pain is a part of His plan. Romans 8.18 puts it like this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
It's a part of the plan. Do, do you see it? So when you face the pain and the suffering and those things, you don't cut everything else off and act like this is randomly going on and there's nothing to be explained beyond the pain of the moment. No. What you do is remind yourself that that pain very, that's very real and that suffering that is really difficult. It fits into a plan, and a plan to help us. A plan that leads somewhere when we get to the end of it, if we had scales and we have pain and suffering here and glory here, it's not worthy to be compared. Glory outweighs it to such a degree. It's a plan to help us. You see, in verses 26 and 27, we see this plan includes God's help in all things. God's help. The very first word we see in verse 26 is likewise. It points us back to the preceding section. Here are the two verses before this likewise. The Spirit Himself, meaning the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Likewise, in light of that hope, in light of the fact that the Spirit is already at work confirming the reality that if you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Likewise, in light of the fact that the end of that story is to be glorified with Him. Now He reminds us in verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. How beautiful is that? The particular word for help here is one that carries the idea of take hold of at the side. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, frailty, helplessness. You ever felt helpless? When you feel helpless, How glorious it is when somebody that you respect and love and you know cares for you comes beside you and pulls you in. Doesn't even say anything necessarily. But they are there. In our weakness, in our frailty, in our helplessness, the Spirit, the Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, that indwells the believer, comes alongside, takes hold of us. One of the definitions of the word for um, help here is um, to help by joining. That's what's happened. In Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has joined us and helps us in our weakness. Do you understand what this is saying? So often in our mind, we get the idea that God's care, that God's compassion, is sort of occasional. That that we sort of live our lives on our own, and we get in trouble, and we cry out, and God helps us sometimes. But, But it's occasional. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you're in Christ, you never breathe a breath without the help of the Holy Spirit. You never live a second apart from Christ whom you're united to. That there is never one moment in Christ that you are under the condemnation of God the Father. The triune God at work in our lives, every moment, every second, in every situation, and in all things. That's the promise. 
It's an occasional thing. We goof up and God's mad at us and puts us in time out and pushes us away. No, that never happens. Ever. That is your misconception. That is a God that you're making up in your own mind. It is an idol that needs to be crushed. The Holy Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, our helplessness. And you know when that is? All the time. We may feel it at times more than others. But apart from what God has done in your life in Christ, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, you are doomed and damned. Your life is described as helplessness apart from the help of God in His Gospel. Now, this word weakness, back in chapter 8, verse 22... It tells us the whole creation has been groaning. In verse 23 of chapter 8, it says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. There's a picture of the difficulty of life, the sufferings of life, the, the pain of life, the very created order in a fallen world groans longing for the resurrection of Christ and things to be made new. Even God's image bearers groan inwardly as we deal with the things that we face in a fallen world. You know, I've been humbled with physical stuff lately in my life. You know, used to, Judy would say, well, you go on a walk with me. I'm like, walk? Not a walk, and if I go, I'm going to run. I'm going to jog. Hey, walking's a waste of time. Guess what? Now, if I go on a walk with Judy, hey, slow up. I can't go that fast. Right? Guess what? This body has done some groaning in recent years. Uh, I'm, this body's like 76. Uh, I mean, I know what it means to say... Wait up. Let me hobble over there to you. Right? That, we, we know that. We feel that. There, there is a groaning in this life. The, this life humbles all of us. But notice what it says as it continues. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. The Spirit helps us in our weakness and in our ignorance. There are all kinds of times where, where we just simply do not know what to pray for. And we just simply talk to God, but we can't say much. We can't hardly get anything else we out. We can't hardly do anything but groan. Now, sometimes we say a lot and we would be better off groaning. But, but there's times that come when we're just confused, when there's been a personal loss, when, when something has happened and, or a decision is to be made, or we're so aware of our own sinfulness and our own difficulty and rebellion that we just do not know what to say. We, we are more aware in that moment of our, our weakness and our lack of strength and, and what we need is to be strengthened and, and encouraged and and helped in our endurance and when we do not know what to pray for as we ought notice what it says but the spirit himself notice the spirit is a person god the holy spirit the spirit himself intercedes for us that the spirit goes before us in our groanings in our weakness intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words Word, wordless groans is, is the idea here. With, with sighs. He identifies with our groaning. And we can't get anything else that makes sense, but the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in such a way that it tells us here, even though we can't even get out words, that our prayers go to the Father, and because of the intercession of the Spirit, the Father knows exactly what we need. That's what it says in verse 27. And he who searches hearts, meaning the Father, knows what the mind, uh, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will or the plan of God. The Spirit prays for us in our weakness. 
And He does so according to the will of the Father. And the one that equips us to cry out, Abba, Father, is the one who can even transform our groanings into very clear prayers in the mind of the Father. Is that care or what? The Bible tells us in Romans 8.34 that Jesus in heaven makes constant intercession for us. Tells us in 1 John 2.1 that Christ is our advocate who always pleads on our behalf. In Hebrews 7.25 it says that Jesus always lives. The resurrected Christ always lives to intercede for us. But it also tells us here that the indwelling Holy Spirit of God is an intercessor that comforts our hearts from within. He dwells the believer. Intercession in heaven at the right hand of the Father by God the Son. Intercession from the Holy Spirit of God who is alongside us, or more theologically accurately, within us. Comforting our hearts. Taking us to the Father when we can't even get out words. And yet, our prayers are going up to the Father. Because you don't know what to say is a reason to pray, not a reason not to pray. In your weakness, you go deeper than you would if you were not weak. The Spirit's intercession means that the Father has no problem understanding our groanings. Creation groans. We groan. The Holy Spirit of God groans on our behalf and lifts our groaning into the will the purpose of the Father is He understands exactly what we need. You know, I can't help but to think of a child that's, that's too sick really to even hardly get words out. And that child pulls aside to their parent. Their parent is hugging them and holding them. And even though words can't come out, there's an understanding about what's going on and about what needs to happen. This happens in our prayer life because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. These experiences cause us to go higher and deeper in prayer with God. Thomas Watson, the great Puritan preacher, would explain these moments that we have that drive us deeper into our understanding of God's grace and mercy in our lives. And he would say, I I want you to think about a father and a son walking down the road together and talking. Having a great time. It's a father and a son. And all of a sudden, something moves in the heart of the father. And he just reaches down and grabs the son and gives him a long embrace, a long hug. And eventually he puts him down and they keep walking. And Watson asks, was the son more of a son of the father because of the hug? No. He was just as much a son of the father before the hug. Did the son experience what it means to have that father more because of that hug? Yes. Do you see it? In our weaknesses, we're driven, we're in despair, we have nowhere else to go. But God has come to us. He has saved us. He helps us. He embraces us. We have experiences that remind us of His care and just how constant it is that He is for us. Another thing I was thinking about, and I guess I was thinking about it because Alabama was looking for a new football coach recently, but there's a story about Bear Bryant who used to be the coach at Alabama way back when, when I was a kid. 
And uh, the story is that uh, a football player wanted to come in and talk to Coach Bryant. He said, okay. And as they were walking in the office, Coach Bryant's assistant said, hey, Coach Bryant, the the President of the United States uh, is calling you. He's on the phone right now. And he said, you tell him it'll have to wait. I'll have to call him back. I have a more pressing issue. And then he looked at that player and said, come on in and sit down. Was that player more of a player because of what happened? No. Did he understand the commitment of his coach more because that happened? Yes. He experienced it. That this coach thought that he was more significant to talk to than the President of the United States. God cares for us. His care is constant. There is no moment we are apart from it. We don't realize it at times, but that's an us issue. And in our weakness, as we fling ourselves on Him as our only hope, the Holy Spirit of God is is helping us, even when we have groans and can't get anything out. I love John Newton writing a letter to a suffering friend. And he says this, All shall work together for good. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing can be needful that he withholds. Be content to bear the cross. Others have borne it before you. You have need of patience. And if you ask, the Lord will give it. But there can be no settled peace till our will is in a measure subdued. Hide yourself under the shadow of His wings. Rely upon His care and power. Look upon Him as a physician who has graciously undertaken to heal your soul of the worst sickness, sin. Yield to His prescriptions. Fight against every thought that would represent it as desirable to be permitted to choose for yourself. Everything is needful that He sins. Nothing can be needful that He withholds. Genesis 50.20, Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He reminds us of this. And that leads us into the, the next thing that we see here. You see, because we are to rest in Him. His plan. Not our plan. Not our agenda. We have God's help in all things. And we know God's purpose in all things. Not Not details. But God tells us what He's doing. Look with me, uh, beginning at verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And we know. There are things that we know. There are things the Bible tells us. And those are the things we we bank our life on. We don't waste our time trying to know things that we have not been told. Deuteronomy 29.29 puts it like this, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us. Think about it. After... About 30 years of counseling people, I realized that most of the things that have people all torn up are things that they have no control over, God has never promised, and they've just decided that that's the way it ought to be. A a, a part of understanding God is trusting what He has revealed. And leaning into what we know, not what we want to know. And we know, he says, that for those who love God, those who are God's children, those who love God because He first loved us, all things work together for good. To those who are the called, the called here is not the general call to believe It's the saving call, the electing call. Those who are brought in relationship with Him by the call of God, we'll see that more in a bit. According to His purpose, according to His plan. Now, we try to make sense of the world in all kinds of ways. Everybody's trying to make sense of it in some way. You know, uh, 
uh, gambling has never been bigger than it is today. You can't turn on the television without gambling, without being enticed to gamble. And uh, gambling is not just something people do. Gambling's a worldview. Gambling says, this is all just about chance. I hope I get lucky. That, that, that's what, it's about trying to get lucky. That's a, it's a pretty empty way to see the world. Just chance. And some people are lucky and some people aren't. I, I'm trying to be one of the lucky ones, so I keep doing this. And, and others are fatalistic and say, just things happen the way they happen. You have no control over it. You, you just, now, the, by all of these other ways of making sense of the world are empty. They are demoralizing. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the hand of God is in control. And that He has a plan. And that plan for those who love God, because of His grace, because of what He's done in their life, those who are in Christ, indwelt by the Spirit of God, those who love God, that all things ultimately work together for good. That the end of the story of the picture of every one of the lives of people who love God is good. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say all things are good. Oh, they're not. Isaiah 50, 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There are all kinds of things in our life we say that is That is evil. That is wrong. That should not happen. It should not be like that. But even those things in the believer's lives are things that a sovereign God works together and good comes out even of evil. We know that because there is a cross and the people nailing Jesus on the cross and the people yelling crucify Him are not doing good. They are wicked and evil. And the Bible describes it in Acts 2 as as with unrighteous hands. It's a terrible thing to crucify the sinless one. And yet, in the plan and purpose of God, that is the very means of accomplishing the salvation of a people. Of having the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Do do you see it? That's all things work together for good. No, we are to be the people who call evil, evil, and good, good, and we never confuse the two. I've met people trying to be theologically accurate who point back to some terrible circumstance in their life and they say, oh, it was good. No. If it's terrible, it was bad. But there is a sovereign God who can work all things for good. He can work big and small things. And your life is like a mosaic where all these little tiles are there. But once they're all together, they work together to produce something beautiful that you could not produce on your own. All things work together for good. All of our groanings work together for good. All of our pain, all of our sufferings, tragedy, and even crucifixions, and everything else. By the way, this is the testimony of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You aren't to believe this with half measures. You are to go all in on it. Say, well, you know, I don't like the thought that you know, God is so much in control that all things work to good. I don't, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It's true. It's your only hope to reject this fact is to reject what God has said is the only hope of your comfort. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose, according to His plan. But, but notice implied in this is that all things happen even to those who love God. In, in verse 35, he, sa- he will go on to say, um, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Guess what he means there? He means that those who love God, like everybody else, face tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. 
implied in this is because one is a believer, because one loves Christ, doesn't mean that you are saved from the pains of this world. You face them like everyone else. The unbeliever gets the terrible cancer diagnosis, and so does the believer. The unbeliever has something terrible happen to them by some wicked person who does them harm. So does the believer. All all things happen to all of us, but for the one who is in Christ, ultimately all things work together for good. All things happen to those who love God, but when things work together for good, we don't say, Look at what my hands have done. Look how clever I am. Look how smart I am to get myself out of that predicament. When, when things work together for good in ways that we can see here and now, we say, look what God has done. He is the one. It's His plan. We must always direct our thoughts to Him. And in His plan, according to His sovereign providence, Even bad things work ultimately for good for His people. He showed the way by coming and being crucified and raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He calls us to take up our cross and follow Him. He calls for us to move in the direction that brings pain in His name because we know that sometimes we embrace pain because it fits into a plan. And ultimately, it helps us to embrace it more than it would help us to run from it. Do you see this? This call to rest in Him and not our agenda is so important. We have God's help in all things. And we know God's purpose in all things. There's nothing that you could go through where you can't say the ultimate purpose in this will be worked together for good for all eternity. Nothing. This wickedness, this awful thing that happened, this this cursed thing, even that, or maybe we ought to say especially that, God in the Scripture seems to take great delight in the irony of all that's opposed to Him thinking they get an upper hand. But in the end, He is the one who wins. And so are His people. Tells us in Colossians that uh, Christ on the cross and the glorious resurrection makes a mockery of all those who try to do away with the purposes of God. Do, do, do you see this? More importantly, do you feel it? The transformative reality. I, I don't know all the answers you can always say. But there are things I know. I know that God helps me in all things by the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I know that God's purpose in all things is ultimately for my good. And one day, on the other side of all of this, outside of the very presence of sins, there will be but one word that we can say about it all. And that is, that's the good work of the good God. We are His workmanship. None of his workmanship in eternity are going to say, eh, that could have been done a little bit better. That's what we say now. Because we're kind of stupid at times. All of us. We start shrinking everything to just what we think and what we want and what we feel. And what comes out is, eh, not too bright. But then we got to... Keep expanding out to the things that we know. You see, when we shrink the things that we think we know, we don't really know. We're just saying what I want. What I desire. And if you don't understand the difference, uh, if you ever had little children, what, what if you... Uh, oh, you're, you're crying because you want something to eat even though I fed you just a little bit ago? 
Well, if you desire it, it must be right. Here's some more food. Oh, you don't want that? You want marshmallows? Here's a bag. Right? You don't even, you, you ask for things that harm you. And you try to build this rhythm of trust. I would want that. My parent has given me this. I seem to be doing good. Okay, maybe they know more than I know. That's what we do with God. Of course it's right. I want it so bad. Of course it's right. It happens to other people. Of course this should happen to me because this is how I define good. That's not what we know. That's what we want. But we are to bank our lives on what we know. And what we know is what God has told us. Not what we tell ourselves when we forget about God and His Gospel. Finally, verses 29 and 30. We see God's goal in all things. This is is beautiful. And by the way, there are some words here in this whole thing people like to argue about. We're not going to argue about any of it. It says what it says. None of this is here for some theological debate. It's all here for you to say, oh, good. Okay. I don't, I don't understand that. That's bigger than me. That's what it's supposed to be. If you don't need something bigger than you, then head out and go have at it. You should only be here if you know you need something bigger than you. If you're just fine on your own, okay, write us in 30 years and tell us how it's worked out. You see, this is to tell us, this may not be what you would have planned. This is bigger than you, and that's your only hope. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew. By the way, that word knew, when it's used in this way, is a word that means in relationship with. Matthew 7, there are those who have done mighty things, there are those who have done these things. And, and I will say, I never knew you. I was never in relationship with you. Those whom he's in relationship with are those he loves. So get it like this. For those whom he foreknew, we could translate this, for those whom he foreloved. For those whom he foreloved. It's rooted right in the Old Testament. God chooses Abraham out of the world. There's a a people called Israel. And the question is, why did God do that in those people? Is it because they were more numerous than the peoples of the world? No, that's not true. It's because they're better than people in the world? No, that's not true. And the Bible tells us He did it because He did it. And then it tells us He did it because He chose to love them. This picking up on Old Testament language talking about all of us. Those whom he foreloved. Those he set his love on beforehand. Then it says, he also predestined, that is destined beforehand. He gave them a destiny beforehand to be the people who were the objects of his love. And then it says, here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that, with the intent... He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is a beautiful summary of God's purpose for all of history. He has ordained that there will be a people whom He would pour out His love on and He would give them the destiny of being people who are in the Son and He will not leave them as they are. He will sanctify them and and mold them into the image of His Son. And it's not just an isolated individual, it's a people. He will make them the firstborn of many brothers. Christ is the firstborn of many brothers. And all of His people are described in that way. And people are being conformed in the image of Christ. And because of what God has done, He is making them more loving and noble and true and wise and strong and good and joyful and kind. More like Jesus. Less like you and I apart from Jesus. What a beautiful summary of the Gospel here. This is what it's all about. To be conformed in the image of Christ. The Father loves us with the the love He loves the Son. Because in Christ, we are clothed in His righteousness. We are united by Him. The Spirit indwells us. He always helps us. And God's purpose in all of this is to raise up a people who would be conformed to the image of His Son. So then he goes on to explain this in what has often been called the golden chain of salvation. Okay, if that's the plan, 
How does this work from beginning to end? If that's the plan to be conformed in the image of Christ. Here's what it sounds like in verse 30. Those whom He predestined, those who He beforehand destined to be a people of His love, conformed to the image of His Son, He also called. In other words, this plan of God that is before the foundation of the world, before we were even born, happens in time and space. God calls. He awakens people to His love. And by His grace and the the gift of faith, we can say we love Him because He first loved us, as the Scripture tells us. And those whom He called, He also justified. Those are justified are those who are declared righteous in Christ, who have been called out by God, who love Him. And then it tells us at the end, those whom He justified, He also glorified. God completes His plan in eternity future, where He brings a people, a new body of people, to a new world, a new heaven, and a new earth who have been transformed by the glory of Christ. And for the first time in their lives, they live outside of even the presence of sin in something that can only be described as glorification. Living in the light of the sun and knowing the full weight of the sun outside of the very presence of sin. This is what God is doing. Now, did you notice that in verse 18 that starts this section, I'll remind you what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What does He tell us at the end? Those whom He predestined, He called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We live here and now knowing that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. And what He has done, what He is doing is He's conforming us to the image of His Son. And one day He will deliver us into the kingdom of His Son without the, even the presence of sin that will be there. And we will be able to be described as glorified. One other thing about that verse. The glorified there is past tense. Paul does this a lot. Because he's talking about what we know. And the glorification that will happen is as sure as the fact that Jesus is presently at the right hand of the Father. It can be spoken of as if it's already a reality because it is. Christ was the first fruits of our resurrection. Christ is the first fruits of our glorification. That's the plan. The plan is for our glorification. The plan happens only because of His sovereign love of His grace, of His mercy. You know, most of the time we're frustrated with God about things He never promised. Think about that. It's so true. The things that we're frustrated with God about are almost always things that He never promised. Well, I wanted to do this and that didn't happen. Oh! Why would God be like this? Because He's not you. And that's such a good thing. No, we hold God to account for what He promised. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. And there has never been one yet that did not come to pass in exactly the way God saw fit for it to come to pass. You say, but, but, but I wanted to do that and it, it's painful that I can't do that. That pain fits in a plan and it's for your good. It's not the way you would have planned it, but you would also not have planned the Son of God on a cross and a resurrection either. You would have been there with Peter and he would have said to you, get behind me, Satan. Rejecting the plan of God is signing up for the plan of the evil one. Do you see how all this works together? Our plan's goal is not to be conformed in the image of Christ. His is. We go with His and we repudiate ours. And He is a glorious God that takes us from groaning to glory. One day when we will groan no more. You know, Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, Mark 15. 
He cries that out. But, but he didn't just make it up. He's pointing back to Scripture. He's fulfilling Scripture. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Now, creation groans, we groan, the Spirit groans for us. Christ on the cross can be described as groaning. But what did He do on the cross? He chose, though He never deserved any suffering, He chose to plunge Himself into suffering. That's what He chose. He chose to plunge Himself into our groaning so that we could ultimately be plunged into His glory. And that plan is good news. And for those who are part of that plan, the end of the story is, that is good. By a good God. He was given good news to a people who never deserved anything but bad news. In all things, for those who are in Christ, here's what we know we have. God's help. That our lives are a part of God's purpose and God's plan. And that God's goal is to conform us into the image of His Son. And that's why He takes us from groaning to glory. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You so much for Your perfect and precious Word. I thank You for the the privilege to open these words that, that I just feel a sense of my inadequacy this morning to unfold the wonder and glory of it all. In fact, there have been times this morning where, where I know I, I just want to groan myself. I am not adequate for this task. And yet, you do far above our capabilities. You work in the midst of a people that are weak and You show Yourself strong. And Lord, I pray in these moments as we respond to Your Word, it would be a testimony that indeed the Spirit of God has helped us. That there would be a a repentance and a, a turning to God's plan instead of ours. And oh Lord, I pray that nothing would matter more to anybody in this room on this day than Jesus. And Lord, I pray that everyone would be able to live knowing that oh, while we groan here in Christ, we go from groaning to glory. Lord, make it so for the glory of Your name. For the good of Your people. For the advance of Your kingdom. For the making much of Your great saving plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.